Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, come on, Mary. I'm not stupid. I wasn't born yesterday. Do you think I'm a fool or something? There's a baby in there and it's not mine. Yes, you've been away for three months, haven't you, at Elizabeth's house, your cousin. This is probably some farm boy's baby or something. I've got to tell you, Mary, this is unacceptable. The wedding is off. Oh. And so may have gone, I think, the conversation between Mary and Joseph. I mean, don't you think? Something like that probably took place. And here is Joseph. Here is the, uh, the entrusted father of our Lord Jesus Christ as he discovers in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, the situation. And Joseph, Matthew really tells us the story from Joseph's point of view. Do you notice Joseph is the one who repeats, he, he comes through in, in the paragraphs. And it is therefore in Joseph's shoes that I want to invite you to stand this morning. Next week we'll come and we'll look at Luke chapter 2. And there Luke really invites you to, invite, to stand in Mary's shoes. But for today, stand in Joseph's shoes. Uh, our Sunday evening carols by candlelight service last week, we looked at Simeon, if you were here, and we saw how here is this rare Christmas character, rather unknown Christmas character, and we, and we put his figure in the crib scene. And today I want to do the same thing with Joseph. So here he is. Because Joseph is this man we can learn so much from. I want you to see that at the start of the story today, Joseph is uncomfortable. He's, he's sweating. He's unsure of what to do. He has in mind to divorce her quietly. And engagement was a big deal in his day. So for Joseph to be engaged to Mary was a, was a real social thing. They would have had a prenuptial agreement stating you know, what goods were going to change hands in this marriage. Um, they would have already begun to refer to Mary as his wife, even though they were as yet unmarried and engaged. And his parents would have been involved. I mean, they would have been involved in choosing a suitable bride for him. So it's a big deal today if you break off an engagement, right? But in his day, it's massive. Can you feel his discomfort? You can feel the heat prickling under his collar 2,000 years ago as, as this news becomes known to him. Your fiancé is pregnant, Joseph. 
And yet he finishes the story confident, quietly obedient. He's doing what the angel told him. What's that about? In the space of the Bible reading I just read you, he's, he's changed his mind. So I want to learn from him. I want to learn from him because Joseph struggled with Christmas. I mean, that's what I've called today's sermon, Joseph's struggle with Christmas. And maybe you struggle with Christmas a little. Do you ever feel that? Not really talking about the present buying, although, goodness me, that can be a struggle, can't it? Uh, not talking about food preparation, although, yes, that is a struggle as well. You know, I'm not talking about enforced socialising, although that has its moments. Or the expectation that everyone's supposed to be happy, like James was praying about. I'm not talking about all those struggles. I'm actually talking about, I think, a bigger struggle which is what Joseph was grappling with, which was, oh, come on. You're telling me that the heart of this celebration is this idea that a woman conceived a baby without a man's input, shall we say. And yet by the end of the story, he's grappled with that and he says, yeah, I am now confident that that's what happened. If you and I can get our head around that Christmas struggle and that Christmas miracle, then I think we'll be doing well this morning. So we'll, we'll put him in here, and we'll try and stand in his shoes. I put an outline on your service sheets. Um, it's on the back of your church family news, if you would like to follow. And perhaps if I could try and summarize what I love about Joseph, it might come in verse 19. He, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's still struggling at this point, but you see two amazing things in his character. Uh, he was faithful to the law, so he was a man of God's word. I do love God's word. And yet he's a man of great compassion, so he says, I don't want to expose you to public disgrace, Mary. I, do, I, I love you, I have compassion for you. As ever, if you combine those two things, faithful to the law, compassionate. Wow, that's a great combination. And Joseph ends up staying. So three things today uh, that we're told about Joseph. We'll just work our way through the story and we'll see he was encouraged by the angel. He knew the gravity of sin and he had the prophecy. Okay. The angel, the sin and the prophecy. And as we, I've said this before, I think it's worth repeating every Christmas. Um, of course, whenever anyone struggles with the virgin conception, I do want to say to them, you'll struggle with that whether you're a Christian or not. If you're a Christian, you might struggle with the virgin conception of Christ. If you're an atheist, I think you, you should struggle with the virgin conception of the universe, right? Because wherever you turn, something came out of nothing. Either a universe came out of nothing, or God created the universe, and he brought a son of God out of nothing. So I, I think it bears repeating every year. Let's turn to our, our first uh, paragraph, shall we? Firstly, Joseph was helped in his Christmas struggle when he was encouraged by the angel. Verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I know angels are common in churches. I mean, most churches you go into are being the exception. There's just angels everywhere. Every stained glass window has got an angel and there's loads of angel art in Renaissance paintings, loads of angels in kids' Bibles often and in nativity plays. I mean, who hasn't been an angel? If you've been in a nativity play, you've probably had the, the tinsel halo at some point, right? There are plenty of prophets in the Bible. However, it struck me there are not actually that many angels. 
get a lot of angels in churches, but, but angels are reasonably rare in the Bible. They often turn up when God is trying to underline or highlight something. You know, here's a flaming angel just to show you I'm super serious about what I'm about to say. Go. And sure enough, so it is here in verse 20. God wanted Joseph to be sure, like, here's an angel to reassure you, to encourage you. It boggles our Western minds, doesn't it? This, like, this central Christmas idea. I can almost see it under a microscope. You know, with our modern images, you can actually visualize uh, what an egg looks like and what a sperm looks like. I realize it's graphic, but it's, this, this, this uh, passage just kind of go there, doesn't it? I can see that. An ancient person wouldn't have known that exact image. They'd never seen that, but they too knew where babies came from. And so here, it boggles Joseph's mind. And yet Christians have always insisted with this angel that this baby, this son who's going to be born, has two natures in one person. Can you remember that? Two natures, divine and human, in one person, the son. If you can hang on to that, then you'll know what the angel was trying to talk about. It sounds baffling. You might think to yourself, well, under the microscope, how, how can that possibly happen? I agree. But let me tell you something you're more familiar with. Jesus, this baby, he grows up. And he illustrates what's going on here. So, for instance, he gets tired. And so he's on, a, he's on a boat across the lake, and what does he do? He lies down in the stern, and he goes to sleep. Oh, that's a very human thing to do. That's a very human nature thing. Get tired, yawn, go to sleep. And yet, what happens in the next breath? There's a great big storm, and he wakes up, and he goes, stop! And the storm stops. Oh, that's a very divine nature thing to do. Goodness me. So you may be used to those stories. You see the two natures coming together in one person. Give you another example. Jesus is thirsty. It's a hot day in the Middle East. It's approaching midday. So what does he do? He goes to a well and he tries and gets a drink of water. But in the next breath, what happens? Oh, here comes a woman. And when he talks to her, he reveals everything she's ever done. You know, he just knows all about her because he seems to be all-knowing. Oh, that's a very divine thing to do. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with how this plays out. Or finally, you, you, you're familiar with the idea that Jesus bleeds because they pin nails through his hands and they shove a spear in his side and you see the red blood that's a very human thing to do surely God can't bleed and yet in the next breath what happens on Sunday he drop kicks the stone out of the tomb that's a very divine thing to do no one else can do that and Jesus is raised from the dead oh my god I see I see the union of his uh, divine and his human natures again and again and again so the creator God has done this thing which under a microscope I'm thinking this is surely incredible and yet it plays out again and again and again on the stage of the Gospels. Joseph is encouraged by this angel, don't be afraid, there's something very special about this baby. I read that in the Library of Congress in Washington DC, it is the largest library on earth. I mean, uh, I've seen a few big libraries in my life, apparently this is the one. Washington DC, it's got 800 miles of shelves, it's got 24 million books in 400 and more languages. It's obviously got books about all sorts of people, but apparently there's one character who is the standout leader of the categories in that library. There's one person about whom more books have been written than anyone. Napoleon. No, I'm only joking. It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. I mean, it's 17,000 different books written about him. I feel like privileged if one person wrote a book about me. 17,000. He, he is the leader in history. You can almost hear the angels saying, I told you so, Joseph, it's because of this miracle. So he was encouraged by the angel. 
Second thing Joseph was encouraged by with his struggle with Christmas is that he knew the gravity of sin. Can we touch on that for a moment together? He knew the gravity of sin. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son, says the angel, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If you have that Bible open, do you see there's a little F, a tiny F in, in your text next to the name Jesus? And that's a footnote, so if, you, if your eye flicks to the bottom of the page, does it tell you the, the meaning of Jesus' name? What is it? It's a little bit interactive. Just someone, someone tell me, what does that say? The Lord save. See that? So the angel is very keen to sort of tell Joseph the name and then delineate, well, let me just remind you what that means. There would have been lots of people called Jesus in his day. In some countries you still get that, don't you? There's a lot of Jesus around. But in Jesus' day, it just meant Joshua. It was, it's a pretty regular name, as, as common as Joshua is for us in this country. And yet the angel says, let me tell you what it means. Most names have a meaning, right? My, my name apparently means rock, Peter. That's what it means in Greek. You may know what your, your name means. I actually looked up some of your names because I was having fun. So, uh, Joel, do you know what Joel means? I forget. You're, you're, you forget, yeah. It, it's weighty. The Lord is God. Joel, yeah. Uh, Nicola, do you know? Victory of the people. Nicola, apparently, yeah. Uh, James, do you know what yours means? Substitute. <laughs> <laughs> And they, we, yeah, we attach some meaning to that sometimes, but it doesn't really bother us, does it, what our name means, fortunately. But when the angel comes and he says, call him Jesus because it means this, pay attention, right? The angel is pointing out the meaning of it all. The angel says, this baby will save his people from their sins. It means the Lord saves. So Joseph had it impressed upon him the gravity of sin. He would have actually had that impressed upon him because he lived in that age. Like the, the Jews had been in exile or disgrace for centuries. So Joseph knew like, vividly the disgrace of sin. He knew that God had sent his people into exile and taken away lots of their kingdom because of their sin. So he already knew it. And then the angel turns up and goes, let me just underline that for you. You are stuck in your sins and the Lord is going to need to save you. Okay, got that clear, Joseph? Perhaps the angel could have continued, look, I know, Joseph, people around here think they can live life however they want. You know, they think they can pick whatever God they want to worship, a bit like they might pick their clothes. They can, they can act as if they're not harming any, anyone and so there's nothing that they've done wrong. And they think that if they escape the soldiers or the police or the CCTV, then they've got away with what they did. But Joseph, the angel, might say, that's not true. You lot are stuck in your sins. The gravity of sin is so great that God sent me here to tell you people need saving from it. If I could put this a different way, um, more modern perhaps. I was reading a, uh, an article last year about Adele, and you know the singer Adele, and she released about a year ago her latest album, 30, and it broke all sorts of records. I mean, it was fabulously well acclaimed, and she was more downloaded, more streamed, more bought than anyone to that point, as far as I could tell. And uh, US Vogue magazine, they were talking to her about, um, you've written a lot of ballads, Adele, about your breakups. And she basically says, yeah, it makes for very good songs. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind telling you. Yeah. Uh, but then she said very honestly, I realized, quote, I was the problem. In all my other relationships and all the other albums, I was like, you did this, you did that. And then on this album, I was like, oh, swear word, I'm the running theme actually. Maybe it's me. See what she's saying there? She, like, as she reflects on broken relationships, she thinks, 
I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the running theme. I'm the problem. I've sung about this often enough. I'm beginning to see it about it now. And in my honest moments, I can see that in my own life. You know, why is it that, that greed keeps following me around in my life? Or impurity? Or arguments? You know, what, what is that? Oh, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the running theme. And maybe you get a bit of that too. At Advent, we remember those themes will be displayed on Judgment Day. Which actually makes Christmas really sad. Have you ever thought about that? Christmas is a, a sad time of year because we shouldn't need it. I was cycling with my kids recently and they were on their bikes and one of them cycled straight into a bog, a really, really muddy bog. And, and the, the tires got stuck and they were wobbling on there and then they put their feet down in the extreme mud. This was before it got all icy. And I thought, oh no. And I had to go in there and squelch my way in and pull the child out. But Christmas is a bit like that, you know. We were in such a mess that God had to come into the bog, into the mud, into the filth and get us. Christmas is sad because God has to be born in Bethlehem to come and get us. The Lord will save you from your sins. He had to spend nine months in a uterus and get born and eventually get nailed to a crucifix to come and save us from our sins. So Joseph is beginning to catch on to that and maybe we are too. The Lord needs to save you from it. He knew the gravity of sin. And then thirdly, finally... He had the prophecy. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Immanuel, which means God with us. This is talking about Isaiah the prophet. If you know the Bible, you might know Isaiah. He comes in the Old Testament. This is probably 700 years before Jesus gets born. And Matthew is reminding us that this was foretold. I distinctly remember the first time someone, someone ever told me Oh, the virgin birth, the Christmas birth thing with Mary, that was predicted in the Bible. I said, no, it isn't. And, he, and my friend said, yeah, it is. It is, it is. I think it's Isaiah chapter 7. He nailed it. And I, I remember running back to my bedroom. I was thinking, is it there? Is this, is this prophesied? Sure enough, there it is, Isaiah chapter 7, the bit that's being quoted here. In Isaiah chapter 7, it initially had an earlier king in mind, Ahaz. But as Matthew says here, Mary's much later baby was conceived to fulfill this exact prophecy. And it's very special, isn't it? It's the nickname that, that Jesus is given here, Emmanuel. You can spell it with an I or an E, depending on whether you're going with the Hebrew or the Greek, so it hardly matters. But the nickname, Jesus was like his given name. If he had a birth certificate, Jesus would have been on it. But Emmanuel, it's like the, the angel saying, the, uh, the prophet saying, this is going to be his nickname. This is what he's going to be called or known by, because it's going to be so obvious that God is with us. I heard about a book recently that compares the religions of man. It's by a man called Huston Smith, and he tries to take in all the religions of the world. He says there's only two religions in the whole world that have ever provoked the question, what are you of another human being? There's only two religions where the the lead protagonist character has ever provoked the question, what are you? Not who are you. That's, That's a slightly easier question, but what are you? What species, what order of being are you? He says there's Christianity and there's Buddhism. And in Buddhism, when they asked Buddha that, what are you? You seem amazing. Apparently, Buddha replied rather cryptically when they asked him, are you a god? He said, no, I am awake. I don't, I don't understand enough about Buddhism to know quite what he meant. It was very mysterious. You know, I'm, I'm awake, I'm enlightened, I suppose. But when people began to ask that about Jesus Christ, indeed, they, they started to fall down and worship him, like Thomas, or he called himself the I Am, or they started to nickname him God with us. He was content with that. He was content to be put in the God category. God with us, Emmanuel. 
So he had that prophecy, Joseph. So three things. You see, if you're standing in Joseph's shoes, they're beginning to work on you. And you're thinking, okay, the angel and the gravity of sin and then the prophet. This is changing my outlook. And how does his struggle with Christmas end? Let's look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, because some of this has been in a dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph, he quietly goes off and he obeys the Christmas angel. There's a quiet faith, a quiet sacrificial loving of his wife. Despite the comments people are making on the street, there's a quiet sexual purity about Joseph and there's a quiet naming ceremony exactly as the angel had told him. So my friends, will you share Joseph's Christmas confidence? Do you want a bit of that? Do you want a bit of what he had? He knew the struggle of Christmas. He'd suffered a bit through it and yet he had this Christmas confidence. Matthew's gospel was probably written to give God's people confidence that Jesus really was who they'd heard he was. So the whole gospel is it tending towards that aim. And Joseph seems to be a shining example of that Christmas confidence. Maybe for you, you know, when people ask you your Christmas plans for next week, you could quietly be determined to use these bank holidays you've been given to celebrate Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might say when they ask you about your Christmas plans, I'll, I'll be going to church. Well, you go to church. You're one of those Christians. You actually go to church at Christmas instead of saying, yeah, I do actually. Jesus just, he means so much to me. Oh, Maybe you'll be taking Joseph's lead and obeying God's sexual boundaries. Notice that there's just a, there's a lot about sex in this passage, so it strikes me. Joseph had it quietly settled in his mind that for him, marriage is between one man and one woman, and he was going to stick to that. Maybe you could talk about that with the next generation as far as you have opportunity to, to quietly talk about faith with children or grandchildren or godchildren, nieces, nephews. Even if people think you're old-fashioned, there are worse things than that. You might actually say, oh, she's not about being old-fashioned, it's about, I'm, I'm trying to obey God. Or maybe, finally, you could just stick around. It strikes me that Joseph is a great example of just someone who stuck around. He was like a man who, it would have been easy for him to walk out. You know, it would have been easy for him to walk out on that engagement, walk out of town, abandon that baby. And it's, it's tempting and somewhat easy to do that today. You, know, you, you can walk out on a relationship. It's not so hard to walk out on a marriage these days. You could walk out on a child, either physically or just check out mentally. You could walk out on plenty of friendships and, and it's fairly easy to walk out on a church. You could just be gone and we don't hear from you again. But Joseph stuck around. He listened to the angel and the prophet and he chose to stay. There's a quiet heroism just in being the one who stays. My daughter's got uh, this little phrase she uses. I don't know where it came from, but whenever she wants us to stay somewhere, if we drop her off at a kid's party or um, you know, she's being taken to school in the early days, she'll say, Mummy, Daddy, will you stay and stay and stay? And that's her way of saying, <laughs> don't, don't leave. And maybe for you, you, know, you could follow Joseph's example, filled with a quiet Christmas confidence in Jesus' identity. Even in a hard situation, I'm going to stay and stay and stay. Let's have a moment in quiet and um, just while it's peaceful, you might like to 
Let the Holy Spirit and the angel's message sink in and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Lord God Almighty, Christmas is amazing, no doubt. This story is incredible. But where we struggle with it, where we genuinely want to engage with this virgin conception, would you help us like you helped Joseph, we pray. I pray you'd give us a quiet confidence. I pray, pray you might fill us with understanding, Father, with, with faith, with whether you choose to do it through angels or prophets, Father, through the gravity of sin or some other means, we, we pray that you might give us his Christmas confidence. And we ask it, Lord, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>